Our children are now dismissed for their time of worship. And as they go, let us join in prayer together. In word and in song, in prayer and in peace, God, you have shown up in our midst this morning. And so may you open our eyes and unstop our ears so that the word that we hear today is not from me, but from you. In the name of the one who was love, Jesus the Christ, our Lord. Amen. It has very quickly become one of our family's nightly traditions. After the bedtime routine of taking a bath, brushing his teeth, and attempting to tame his very unruly hair, getting him into PJs, and snuggling in for a book or two, Josh and I put our son Liam to bed with his coziest blanket. As beloved as the velveteen rabbit, this thin blanket is already full of holes and toddler drool, and yet he requests it every night. We will toss the blanket over his head and say, where's Liam? Without wasting a second, he will locate the nearest hole and put it up to his eye with the blanket still over his head and shout, I see you, mommy. I see you, daddy. Again, again we go. Blanket over the head. Where's Liam? Find the whole triumphant squeal. I see you. Again and again and again. The boy is two years old and already he is discovering the joy of seeing and being seen. In our text this morning, we meet Jesus en route to Galilee, just a few days dry of his baptism by John the Baptist. Immediately before our passage begins, Jesus is gathering followers or disciples from those who had been following closely the words of John the Baptist and passionate about his message. Those first two followers are unnamed, but after that comes Andrew and Simon Peter, who heard Jesus speak and wanted to know more. And so Jesus' invitation to them was simple. Come and see. And just like those men and women who felt compelled to just go running with Forrest Gump without rhyme or reason, these four began to follow. A day later, Jesus sees Philip and invites him too to follow me. Philip can't keep that news to himself, so he immediately runs to find his buddy Nathaniel, saying, this is it. This is the guy, our guy, the guy that we've been waiting for. He's Joseph's boy. You know, Joseph from Nazareth. And in a brazen display of skepticism, Nathaniel speaks for cynics everywhere to offer one of Scripture's, in my opinion, best and most terrifically sardonic lines. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? For a University of Tennessee fan like me, this feels akin to saying, can anything good come out of Tuscaloosa? (laughs) Okay, this joke would have killed in Knoxville. You all, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Philip doesn't argue with Nathaniel, but instead issues that same invitation to Andrew and to Simon Peter that Jesus had done. Come and see for yourself. Don't you just love that this is the response of Philip and of Jesus to those skeptical followers? 
Come and see. To me, it's almost more notable what Jesus and then Philip didn't say than actually what they did. Did you notice that the invitation wasn't come and learn and then make up your mind about what you've heard and figure it all out and decide what you believe and be able to spout it out in a few sentences, best if they follow a neat and clean formula. Oh, and don't forget to go ahead and buy your cross necklace and then memorize some killer verses that will help you prove your belief when questioned by others or faced with a challenge to that belief. Oh, and do be sure to go and badger as many people as you can find in order that they might believe and spout and memorize and badger someone else too for the glory of God. Amen and amen. (laughs) But no, this was not the invitation. As simple and yet profound as some of the very best invitations in life, the words say, come and see. Come and see. Check it out for yourself. So isn't it a good thing that that invitation of faith is to come and see? Barbara Brown Taylor says it best. What if people were invited to come and tell what they already know of God instead of to learn what they are supposed to believe? Because with a come and see invitation, our understanding of God is rooted in our lived experience of the sacred amidst our very ordinary lives. And so I wonder, how might our cultural conversations on faith change if experience of God was the starting point in the dialogue? Rather than first maybe a list of rules from Scripture or a catalog of we've always done it this ways from Christian history. I would reason to guess that we're far more likely to find those openings in the blanket like Liam does where we can see each other more clearly than to stay obscured by those non-negotiables in our faith that can too easily separate us from our brothers and sisters who are Jewish or Muslim or who interpret their Christian faith differently than we do or agnostic. After hearing this challenge to come and see, I imagine that Nathaniel probably rolled his eyes a little bit but humored Philip because the next thing that we hear is that Jesus runs into Philip and Nathaniel who are heading his way. We don't know if Jesus knew about that uh, burn by Nathaniel on his hometown, but regardless, Jesus quickly praises him. Here is a real Israelite, not a false bone in his body. And again, we hear Nathaniel's doubt here in the message translation. Where did you get that idea? You don't know me. And to that, Jesus stuns Nathaniel, saying, I saw you under a fig tree, long before Philip found you and invited you to come and see. I saw you, and I knew you, Nathaniel. And in an instant, Nathaniel felt it. That filter of cynicism fell away, and he knew Jesus too. The words just tumbled out of his mouth, Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel, I know you. I think if we can know anything about God, we can know and trust that God is in the business of relationships. This is the God of the psalmist that the choir sang about who searches us and knows us, who blankets us in intimate awareness before we are ever born. This is the God who makes sense out of the unformed chaos of our lives to create order 
and beauty and goodness in God's own image, day after day after day. This is the God of Samuel and of Eli, who isn't limited by eyes growing dim like Eli, but sees within us a capacity to lead and calls it forth. This is the God who became flesh and blood and pitched a tent among us in Jesus so that we might know and be known ever more profoundly. And this is the God who gifts us to one another with relationships that fundamentally shape us in ways we could never imagine. And yet, we shouldn't lose heart. Even when our most intimate human relationships let us down, when our parents reject who we are, when our friends don't show up when we need them the most, when our partners get bored and disengage or stray, when our children disregard the foundation upon which our family is built, even in these moments of relational intimacy, betrayed or denied, we are known and not forgotten. We are seen by Jesus who peeks under the fig trees and glances first to the margins to locate the overlooked. We are known by the God who knit us together before we ever even took our first breath. We are awakened by the Spirit of God who breathes life into even our most sleepy places. And we are invited to come and experience, to see and be seen, to know and be known by the God who is our most intimate companion, present partner, and abiding leader for whom we can't help but to follow. A couple of weeks ago, Carol and I took our 12, 13s, and 14s, otherwise known as our seniors in high school, freshmen, and sophomores in college, on an overnight retreat to unpack together that transition between high school and college. Over chips and salsa, pancakes and a roaring fire, although all not at one time because that would be kind of gross, um, this safe space became holy ground as fears and doubts were gre- and griefs were voiced and recalled. It surely doesn't surprise any of us in this room to hear that among the deepest fears of those leaving the cocoon of their high school selves for the promised land of dorm room life and independence is that terror of being unknown. What do you do when your entire surrounding community doesn't know that your stepdad just died or that you struggle with your body image or you don't even know who you are if you're not on the football team anymore? You're not even sure if you believe in God. Who laughs when you, when you have a moment that reminds you of that fabulous youth group trip or some memory from senior year? Who won't judge you when you're not sure how to respond when you're invited to your first frat party or when you're faced with your first really scary life reality? What are you supposed to do when the realization hits you that you're in a new place where no one knows you? No one knows your story, your past, your quirks, your insecurities, and you simply have to start from scratch. For our 12, 13s, and 14s amidst this transition, and for so many of us in this room who have embarked on a new adventure, punctuating, punctuated with those same questions, be it a new job or a new city, a new relationship, or even a new church family, our fears are the same. 
We long to be named like Jesus at his baptism, to be found like Philip, known like Nathaniel, awakened and called like Samuel. We want to be seen and to be known. We want our relationships and our life's journey to mean something, don't we? Last June, at the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's General Assembly, a motley crew of minister types collected in a hotel ballroom for our annual Wake Forest University School of Divinity alumni reception. It was as wild and awesome as you can imagine. (laughs) The cheese and crackers flowed as freely as the stories, and us young ministers caught up with life since Div School. Floating from person to person was Jill, our beloved academic dean, she of the lean into the tension phrase that I love so much, whose richly accented southern drawl pulled us all right back to that time and place. Eager with delight, Jill asked about you, our churches, and these creative ministries that we are so fortunate to lead. Later in the hour, as she shared a few words, she looked around the room And she said, what a gift it is to see each and every one of you here today and to hear your stories. I want you to know that I've heard you and that what you do matters. Now, I know I'm a bit of a sap, but instantly tears sprang to my eyes. And I glanced around thinking I was the only sentimental fool in the room, only to see the profound impact that those words had had on my friends. It seems to me like that's what we go looking for when we accept God's invitation to follow me or to come and see. We don't simply desire to be seen and to be known, but we also long to do something that matters. Whether it's an invitation to come and see something new, either a new relationship or a new endeavor or a new behavior, or to follow me into a place of meaning and a purpose, we are compelled to see what Jesus calls greater things than these. But thank God we do not have to have it all figured out before we say yes. God sees us and knows us and calls us to follow even from our most vulnerable places. Asleep like Samuel, before we're yet born like the psalmist, When cynicism and skepticism are the language we speak freely like Nathaniel. And it's when we say yes to that summons that we enter into no less than God's dream for our lives. But we need to remember that this invitation to come and see and and follow me doesn't always take us down the road of comfort where we can rest in our familiar patterns and ideas. Come and see prompts us to move past those great Martin Luther King Jr. quotes, like the ones we have on our marquee and that are all over your Facebook pages, and lay down our activist hashtags to move into a deeply relational experience with those stories of Selma and Ferguson ringing in our ears and echoing throughout countless lives in history. Follow Me turns our eyes toward the horrific acts of terror in Nigeria and in Paris and does not let us off the hook with the privilege of distraction and distance. 
Come and see calls us into the highways and the hedges of Morocco, to the border towns of the American Southwest, across the railroad tracks into Shelby Park, and yes, across Ninth Street into the West End. Follow me takes us to the lunch table of the outcasts, into the closets of the excluded, to the prisons of the forgotten, to the grief of those left behind, alongside the unyielding pain of the chronically ill. Come and see links arms between the powerful and the powerless, because we all have seen both sides of that coin and know that God's dream beckons us all. Follow me compels us to stare into the hidden pain of our friends, our sons and daughters and co-workers and classmates, and right smack in the mirror. Come and see does not let us run or hide or self-medicate, but demands that we look boldly enough into the suffering so that we are drawn ever deeper into relationship and solidarity with the one who bears it. I think God is reminding us today that the very best relationships that we cultivate, none more intimate or knowing than that of our relationship with the divine, are the ones built on experience. Because it is in the coming and seeing that we experience anew the breadth and breath of life, reminded time and time again that we are deeply connected to one another, that we are more alike than we are different, and that we are united in a common knownness by our Creator. It is in the following that we are awakened to God's dream for our lives that shapes it in meaning and purpose. And that is when we are stirred to invite others to have that same dream too. May it be so, even today. Amen.